welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Hello, Chris. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks, mate. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, it's uh, it's a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for joining me. So you're a really busy guy. You're the, the founder of Old Mate Media. You're an author, designer, editor, publisher. I'm curious, when somebody asks you to describe yourself and what it is that you do, how do you answer that? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I'm a uh... I'm trying to work on my elevator pitch at the moment, I guess, because uh, uh, there's been so much evolution uh, in the last couple of years in, in what I do. Uh, but I tend to just say I'm a creator. Um, you know, I create, I create content, but I, I, I make it very audience specific. So one day I might be creating a children's book for, you know, like uh, preschoolers, and then the next day I might be working on, you know, high-end tech stuff for the government or something like that. So we. Yeah, the, the, the stuff that I really enjoy is the really creative kind of uh, fun stuff, but then I do a lot of stuff that's not that, so it's very hard sometimes to uh, label what I do. So I just say I'm a, a content creator. Sure, content creator works. It's, so you just said something that I that I have to unpack right now. So um, so I look up your background, and, and you studied microbiology and genetics in college. And so I'm I'm really curious now to hear the journey of, of what you studied in at the university to then becoming a children's book author and then also working on high-tech stuff for the government. Like, how does all of this intertwine and how did you go from microbiology into what you're doing now? Uh, yeah, it's, um, it was an interesting switch. I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've always been a writer primarily. Uh, if you, my, my, my mum always likes to bring up these creative writing awards I used to get, you know, back in the 80s when I was six, seven years old, and, um, and you know, I, I kind of was always writing, and all the way through school, I'd, I'd always find things to write about, whether we would go and play football in the park together, and then I'd come home and write a review or an overview of the game, um, and I used to play a lot of video games when I was a kid, and, and I used to do start doing reviews of, of games when the internet kind of first emerged, and built my little GeoCities website, and... Mm -hmm made a little starry backdrop and put reviews up, <laughs> um, as we did back in the days. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was also fascinated with biology. And, uh, you know, in the mid-90s, we had, you know, Jurassic Park kind of came along and we had uh, Dolly the Sheep. I don't even remember they cloned Donny the, Dolly the Sheep. First yes. cloned yeah, animal. I do. Uh, and I was, you know, very interested in computers and, and very, very good at biology. And I thought to myself at the time as a as a... 17, 16 year old, I thought, if I could combine my knowledge of biology with my love of computers, I'll be able to be a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, luckily I got the grades to be able to uh, be part of the very first ever microbiology and genetics course ever offered in Australia. Wow. Which okay. was in 96. And uh, I met my wife there, mm -hmm. coincidentally. 
And um, yeah, about six months into the first year of that four-year degree, uh, I got brought on board to work as a games reviewer for one of Australia's most popular magazines at the time, a magazine called N64 Gamer, about the Nintendo 64 console. Oh yeah. And uh, I kind of I started doing that, and I was getting deeper and deeper into that. So by the time I kind of finished my degree, mm-hmm. uh, I stepped out and was offered a staff writer job at the launch of the very first PlayStation magazine here in Australia. Wow. Um, wait, wait, wait. So wait. Not to interrupt you, but how did you? So how did you first get that introduction to N64 and PlayStation? Is it is it just because you've already were writing about that before, and then and the the editors or whatever knew you and invited you in? Did you call them and introduce yourself, or how did how did that first with those magazines that introduction happen? Well, uh, I was already reading the magazines of the top, of that era a fair bit, and uh, visiting their forums, which were on the um. Okay. Yeah, on the web, very rudimentary at the time. And a post went up in the forum because they just launched this magazine and they were trying to gather some good writers. And they put up a post saying, send in a sample review and we'll choose the best one and make them a writer. And I sent in a sample review and was selected. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Okay. So, and it very started off very, very simple, just doing little news pieces and filling in the gaps around kind of the on-staff uh, writers at the time. Um, but we started to do like really fun stuff. Like we'd go in and do photo shoots and profiles of the writers and do feature articles. And, you know, I started to kind of go to events, um, nationally at first. And then that gradually became international. And, uh, yeah, over the course of three years, I was working on my degree and, you know, doing little side jobs, working at a service station here or a gas station, as you call it over there. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, working at my dad's factory and laboring and that type of thing. And then I'd write these reviews and then go to uni. Um, and you know, my, my progression as a writer came along nicely. They liked what they saw. And then when the editor of N64 Gamer launched this new PlayStation magazine, he called me up and said, do you want to be the staff writer? And at the time I had just finished the degree. Uh, so I walked straight off into this kind of career as a writer and never ever touched microbiology and genetics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, began kind of a, yeah, a, a life as a journalist in, in publishing, mm-hmm. which is the very, the very start of it all. I, I, around that time, I took a year off to, uh, 18 months off to backpack around the world. Um, with, uh, Kate, who I, at the time had just, we'd just become, uh, having met in the degree after four years, we got together. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a relationship, and that was the first thing one of them we did together was jet up across the world, and we managed to see about 50 or so countries. Wow. Um, and went all through the Middle East and all through Europe and into Africa and Asia, um, which was, you know, massively impactful on everything I've done since in terms of just being culturally aware and, um, you know, seeing all the beauty that's out there. Mm-hmm. And then I arrived back in the country... Uh, about early 2003 and, and started picking up odd jobs again, just doing pieces for kind of all the different editors that I'd met. Started branching out and doing film stuff and tech stuff and uh, kind of just climbing the ladder a little bit. And then uh, an- another magazine launched in Australia, which was quite popular over there in the USA, called GamePro. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, when that launched, they brought me on as deputy editor for the launch of that in 2003. And I did that for a couple of years, and then they... Uh, the editor moved on and they moved me up to editor and I did that for a couple of years. Um, and then that uh, magazine closed down at the start of the GFC and 
I uh, got picked up by a website and was their editor-in-chief for about three years, and then I moved on to the world's biggest uh, games magazine and one of the world's biggest magazines in uh, in general, which is Game Informer. Mm-hmm. And I launched and ran that here for four years in Australia. Um, and in amongst that, I did a lot, a lot of other stuff. I did kids' magazines and uh, still, still did film stuff, still did tech stuff, started consulting for, for companies and and so forth. And then come 2013, I had my second child. And working on Game Informer was incredibly intense. I'd often find myself doing 100-hour weeks and a lot of deadlines. Ooh, mm-hmm. uh, being in such a popular magazine, and I was also working at the time for Maxim Magazine and a few other publications that I was running. So I was running about five or six publications at the time, including being editor of this massive magazine. So I was getting phone calls constantly, emails constantly. Everyone wanted a, everyone wanted a piece of me. I was spending less and less time uh, kind of with my wife and my firstborn. And the uh, the relationship I was having with the USA teams was getting more and more aggressive and abrasive because they were trying to have insert more creative control, which is a big problem for me. And I cracked in the hospital one day, well, literally the day that my daughter was born. And uh, I was holding her in my arms, and she was about five minutes old. Mm-hmm. And I rang up my boss and quit <laughs> and decided right there and then that I was going to stop making money for other people and I was going to start making money for myself and building something for myself. And I launched Old Mate Media more or less the next day and began to create what I create now. Wow. Long story short. Yeah, well, that's, so that's absolutely amazing. Yeah, when, so uh, that's Old Mate Media, the formation. Yeah. Okay, so when you actually launched Old Mate Media, were there – so, well, you had been running and been part of magazines for a while, but were there supplemental books or classes you took about how to, to build and run that part of a company, or did you, was that everything that you've learned on the job through your years of – of training through various magazines. Yeah, so by, by the time I got to the, I guess, the point of being an editor-in-chief, I had a big working knowledge of just about every department in the creation of a publication. Okay. Um, at that point, I'd launched probably five or six websites, and I'd launched well, probably about 10 different magazines, and I had had to be very hands-on with the design. You know, I'd start off just being a writer, but then you come into the management of um, teams of writers, and then from there you progress into the commercial side, and you have to begin managing commercial relationships with various major companies. And, you know, we were dealing with the likes of Sony and Microsoft and Nintendo and Apple and and giant companies with global presences. Um, So you become, I guess, very aware of the commercial, commercial aspect. You have to start delivering... Mm-hmm. Uh, content which satisfies not only your audience and your own personal creative wants, but it also has to, um, you know, resonate with your backers um, in some capacity. It has to resonate in terms of like finding an audience that they want and um, want want their products to be around so that they'll provide advertising. On top of that, you need to start thinking very, very um, much about the way that you, you know. Originally, you just write an article and put it in a document and send it off. And then before that, you then after that, you'd start thinking about imagery you want around your document. You might start for a video game, for example, taking screenshots uh, of you know the game and certain scenes. But then beyond that, you start taking photos of your environment. If you're writing about say 
um, like home renovations or a trip, you know, you know, if I go on holiday now, I write about it. So you start thinking more about the creative aspect of presenting the visual of that information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once you get those visuals and that text, the next level is to kind of start thinking about the design of it and how can I present this design so that it's really immersive and engaging and becomes a, a massive part of the story you're trying to tell. Um, so that when, you know, someone picks it up on a newsstand or in a, in a bookshop and flick through it, they're attracted to it and stop flicking and start reading and looking and becoming more involved with what you're creating. Uh, so through that process, I've become very, um, good. I like to think very good at all the elements involved with the process of creating a publication. So I knew I had the skills to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, then when I went off and, and, and started to do my own thing, then I started just, I guess, uh, honing in on certain aspects of it. So, you know, I've always had, uh, to that point, I've always had an art director who also worked on a team. I also had a commercial manager who worked on a team. So while I'd be involved in um, that direction and what I wanted to see and how I wanted to see it evolve and brainstorming ideas, I'd then pass that off to someone and say, go carry that off. And they would, as a professional in that area, they would then have their own ideas they could add to it. In launching my own business, I had to take on the whole entire package there. So that required going in self-educating in a few areas where I thought I could improve myself. Um, and there's a lot of good resources for that out there, you know, like places like lynda.com, even like places like YouTube. Um, and once you have a base understanding of what you kind of need to do, it's a lot easier than go find out how to fill those holes in your knowledge because you can search better, you can understand, you, you're not immediately overwhelmed by what you're reading. Mm-hmm. Um, so not formal education. Uh, it was more just at that point just uh, honing in on the areas that, um, you know, I felt like I could improve on that extra 10 20%. Mm, sure. I'd like to talk to you then a little bit about content content creation, uh, particularly since you're in the magazine and the publishing industry. How how much when you create something is about uh, a flashy headline or a, a click, like a high click-through rate, and how much of what you focus on is more content, like quality content-based or, or more of a quality, refined story? Uh, depends on what I'm trying to achieve with the content. Okay. So, uh, you know, one of, one of the things I've always have a, it's, it's always in my head is quality. I always want to deliver quality. Um, and, and if you, if you ever talk to any people I work with, it's, it's, uh, beyond what, um, most people think is necessary. Um, (laughs) but, it's just if, if you, I feel if you're creating something and you know that there's a little flaw in it, mm-hmm. then it's a problem, you know, because you can't quite love it like you need to. And so with, with, when I'm working on the stuff that's really important to me from a creative perspective, such as the children's books, the, the travel books, I've got cookbooks, I've got a bunch of apps that I've made, um, the content that I put on the oldmatemedia.com website when I'm offering guides or insights or anything about our personal personal journey, what we've discovered needs to be the, of the highest possible quality. It needs to be world class. Um, when we, we do a lot of stuff now for, this might be jumping ahead a little bit, but, you know, since Old Mate Media has evolved over the last four years, we now have a lot of people come to us to help them create their products. 
Mm-hmm. So especially children's book authors will, will uh, engage us to, you know, take their story, their idea all the way through to publication. And that stuff needs to be world class. It has to be because that's uh, m- my name's on that and that's really important. Uh, my company name's on that and that's really important. Uh, but then there's work that I do uh, which is all about getting traffic in and that stuff is deliberately tiered to be clickable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially running websites, especially running websites during the GFC, being able to be very good with your title and your headline and where you positioned your content around the internet so that people could find it uh, and come to you was critical because at the time uh, advertising was dropping and, you know, you, you couldn't just get by on delivering great content. You also had to deliver content people were looking at. Right. And we had to become masters of uh, manipulating the internet almost like a puppeteer and working out the triggers of locations and how to lure, you know, what headline would work in one place that wouldn't work in another place. So you kind of went out into the internet, found the people who you were an audience and then worked out how to lure them to your site. And that kind of stuff is still, still top-end content, but it's uh, definitely uh, angled in a way to make sure that people come in um, because there's just so much out there. Mm-hmm. And then once they're there, though, you have to deliver um, something readable. So the content quality bar is always high, but in terms of your question regarding to headlines, mm-hmm. sure, there's, 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 there's an audience and a place where you do um, need to be very smart about that. Okay. <laughs> sure. So when you're writing a headline, are there like are there like I don't know uh, like two or three guidelines you use that guarantees or that you follow that will guarantee a, a clickable headline or a good headline? Like are there certain words that always get more clicks than others or phrases that you like to go to? It's very very audience specific. Okay. Um, and so with the gaming stuff, uh, yeah, and I, I I can. I can almost tell you from this headline how much traffic an article is going to get. Um, I've done it so many times now. Yeah. Um, and so, like, could you give me like, what's a good gaming headline example? Uh, well, it depends on what. So when I say the audience trigger, yeah. Uh, for example, right now we've got uh, two competing racing games that are coming out. One's called Gran Turismo. One's called Forza Motorsport. One's by Sony. One's by Microsoft. Okay. Now I know that that audience is such that if you find a way in your headline to position those games or those manufacturers against each other mm-hmm. or in some way compare one to the other, that that audience will be really hungry to read that oh. because um, they're very passionate about defending their their turf. Okay. Right? But mm-hmm. if you just go, hey, Gran Turismo sucks and Project Cars is great and put that in the headline, then that's just not going to get you a great audience. Okay. It's just going to get you an audience of people who just want to basically troll the, the conversation. <laughs> okay. But if, you, but if you go and do some research and you find out, hey, uh, Gran Turismo has received double the double the pre-orders of Project Cars, and you do a headline which is like, thing on the lines of like, um, Sony trumps Microsoft with um, 200% pre-order increase, mm-hmm. or something something along those lines, and you've got your keywords, your key brands in there, you've got Sony and Microsoft, you've got a 
an, uh, an aggressive um, argument against one or the other, so using the word Trump or defeats or something like those lines, mm-hmm. and then you're putting in some hard data, a statistic that can't be argued against, like 200%. And then in that way, you've got, you've got your audience, you've grabbed them by the throat, you've gone, come in here and have a look at what I'm writing, and once they're in there, you're saying, this is raw facts. You can't deny the facts. Mm-hmm. Then you go have your squabble and your argument about who's best, but the reality is that you've offered something to the conversation which is valid. Um, and I generally find when you do headlines like that as well and you um, back it up inside your article, uh, you find a lot of sites are linked to you mm-hmm. because you're the source of that information, which is obviously great for SEO. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done articles like that in, over the course of the last year. One of the companies that I do a lot of consulting for is a company called Finder. Um, who are massive here in Australia and they're launching globally over last year. Um, and they brought me on to work on just this, like a, a, a headline acquisition and um, uh, content marketing from the perspective of getting people to come into a website, find the source of some great content and go back to their website and write about it and you know, use us as a source or use Finder as a source. Mm-hmm. And we've had great results. We've had put articles up and woke up the next day and had you know, 60 different sites around the internet linked to us wow. uh, to use our data. So that's kind of where when I talk about that creating content for that type of audience, that's mm-hmm. what I mean. Okay. Wow, that's amazing. When you were running the different magazines, do you – when you – with your writers, did they have a lot of outside people pitch them or was it more of they would go out and find the stories? Uh, well, we would get a lot of stuff uh, offered to us. Okay. Um, it's a it's it's a booming booming industry. The video game industry is massive. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of big players, a lot of high end product. Um, we were getting flown all around the world to see things. Um, would get flown over to Japan one week and then Germany the next week and then New York and get you know to to, to interview developers and get hands on with product well before the public got to see it. Yeah. Uh, and big events like that. So a lot of your content comes from that. You know, like interviews are a great source of content because everything that's said to you is exclusive. Mm-hmm. Because of everything, if you can ask your questions well, um, you can get really good, you know, you get these really good answers. Uh, and opinion pieces then become uh, another key way to get traffic, I think, on no matter what your niche that you're working in, you know, even with – I mean, a great example is we recently did a children's book survey. So we went and surveyed a whole bunch of parents and grandparents about their reader habits with um, their children's books. Mm-hmm. And we published the raw report onto uh, the website, onto oldmatemedia.com, and that's just the raw report's got a lot of a lot of views and a lot of traffic and a lot of positive response. It's really helped people. But now I can go back into that report and I can pull out key details about, like, you know, the weight of... Uh, importance that readers place on good illustrations and I can take that 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 particular um, statistic and I can generate an opinion piece around that um, which will also I believe will, will resonate quite well because then I can say hey here's this overall thing about children's books which is interesting to writers interesting to designers interesting to editors interesting to illustrators and everyone and then I can take this one little bit which is the illustration piece and write a really valuable piece just for illustrators mm-hmm and tier it all towards illustrators and then put it out into areas where illustrators will see it, like, you know, Facebook groups where illustrators are or, um, 
you know, places, you know, like where the DeviantArt crew hang and stuff like that uh, and create content that way. So a lot of it's offered to us, but then the best stuff generally is thinking outside the box and going, how can I repurpose what is offered to everyone uh, in a way that feels unique to my website? And that's how you kind of add value where others might just be adding news. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you're writing articles, do you mostly publish it then first to your own site or do you also publish to like some of the bigger outside sites that maybe you're not necessarily associated with, but maybe also allow submissions like, um, you know, like with Huffington Post or Forbes or some other other of those magazines that allow people outside to write for them and, and publish on the website. Do you also publish that too or is it? your website first and then out that way? Uh, I've been focusing on our website. Uh, the website is still really relatively in its infancy. Um, because the, the We're adding content to it, kind of drip feeding it in uh, as time allows. We've got so many projects running at the moment. Uh, and then we look for opportunities where to, to kind of redevelop ideas that we've put on our website and then repurpose it to an audience on another website. Um, as an example, uh, there was Father's Day here in Australia recently and uh, a blog group called Mouth of Mums, which have a big on, big presence here in Australia, they got, I think they got about 450,000 on their Facebook group. Uh, and they put out a call for fathers who would change their careers to be closer to their children. Um, and I've written lots of pieces about uh, the story I was telling you before about uh, how I, I quit my role as, as the editor of Game Informer, you know, in the hospital holding my newborn baby, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, to take up a new career as a children's book writer and an app creator and, and what I do now. And that's on my website. It was on my website first, but then I could repurpose it for Mouth of Mums from okay. a Father's Day angle. And that's kind of more the approach I take. So if there's an opportunity to, I guess, repurpose the content, repurpose the story and rewrite mm-hmm. it, and then get it into another channel. I think that's a great way to kind of double down on your on your on your efforts. Okay. Oh, I see. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So you yeah you you, you already have the content done on your site. You're just rewriting it for their audience. And but the ba- same basic story is is already there. Okay. Yeah. So the, so the way I wrote it on my website was about me personally. Mm-hmm. But the way that the mouth of mums stuff they wanted it was about me changing my career to be with my children. So it's the same, same content, but you write it with a different angle and it speaks to, it speaks to their audience, which is all mums. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just adapt. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with all the projects you're working on right now, is there, is there one particular aspect of your company that is more of your favorite or more of like your, I don't say like your baby, but you know, that you're closer to? Is it like the, the book side or the publishing side or the designing side that you're like, hold it closer to you than the other parts? Uh, I really love the whole process of creating the book. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the writing part as, as you know, being coming from a background as a writer, the writing I find actually really easy or sorry, easy is the wrong word, really quick. Sure. You know, like uh, ideas kind of just formulate in my head and they sit around there for, you know, thinking about them in the shower, thinking about them when I'm lying in bed, thinking, you know, and then, when I sit down and actually start writing, I'm, the whole thing comes out, you know, in a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but then 
you know, been able to sit down and, and go through, talk with an artist and work through some ideas about how we want to present the image for each page and then designing it up and thinking about the ways that we can, uh, create c- cool experiences in the way that the design is done and that whole process. If I could, if I was a millionaire, I could sit here all day and do, uh, nothing but exactly what I wanted. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would love to just sink my teeth into that. Okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's plenty of other things I love doing as well, and yeah. and and especially doing stuff for other authors. It still lets me um, engage with the design um, and creation aspects, uh, um, not just on my own time. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. So with all the projects that you're doing, and and you clearly have have a lot on your plate, how do you manage your schedule and your focus? Are there apps that you're using or systems that you use to do all that? Uh, well, about six months ago, my wife became a partner in the business. Okay. And yeah. despite like a like despite also doing microbiology and genetics, uh, she's now an events manager. Um, so neither of us went on with that degree. <laughs> um, uh, and she's, she's, she's a wizard at, at, at organization and, uh, dealing, um, with people. You know, she's used to running quite a major events for places like, um, the University of New South Wales here in, here in, in Sydney, which is, you know, a massive, massive government organization. So she's used to dealing, doing huge events for these guys. She's used to dealing with all those loose ends and all those people. So she came on board about, actually about eight months ago now. And, um, to help me with the organizational side of it, because, uh, as, as, as yourself or anyone who's listening who's creative knows, uh, you can't stop creativity when it lands. <laughs> it frequently comes from nowhere and it can frequently, very easily sidetrack you from what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, Having now run a business here for, you know, why Old Made Media has been in existence since 2013. I've run a business since 2003. Um, you know, like everything's kind of been through my, my, my own kind of home office. Mm-hmm. Even when I was working for the major publications, I primarily did it from home. So I've had a lot of practice at prioritizing deadlines. Uh, but definitely it's an area I need to work more on. Um, and having Kate on board to kind of, manage that face to face with people who are getting in touch and, and to nudge me every now and again and say, Hey, you've got a podcast today. Don't forget. Um, <laughs> is, a is a, a vital, a vital cog in driving old bait media forward to the next level. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, that's good. You know, it's, it's always nice to have people who compliment what you do. And uh, it, it sounds like Kate does that for you. That's wonderful. Yeah, we're also been trying to find a virtual assistant to work with us uh, remotely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so someone who's who uh, you know works works overseas um, doesn't have quite the the living costs that we have here in Sydney, which are extreme, mm-hmm. and um, you know is a, can can work effectively for us without you know us overcapitalising on that spend, and that's been a big part of it. And on top of that, we use things like Trello and uh, a lot of the Google um, Cloud stuff, like Google Calendar mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Sheets and so forth, so we can. Uh, kind of have a easy access point where everyone's brains are feeding into this one spot so we can all kind of get an overview of the, the whole entire landscape from 30,000 feet mm-hmm. um, get buried on our little activities every day. Oh, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I use Trello and uh, and Google 
um, all the time. Usually, usually not so much Google Calendar as much, but um, definitely Google just to share documents back and forth with people so that multiple multiple people can work on them and write on them at the same time. And and uh, Trello is great for just managing products and projects because you can drag and drop and move, and it's just really easy that way. Yeah, I, I launched uh, when uh, we first started on my media. My first project was a project called Grabit, mm-hmm. um, which was a um, a digital magazine for the iPad, uh, which we designed to kind of blow every other digital magazine ever made out of the water, mm-hmm. uh, uh, because no one was doing it well. And I can I could talk to you for hours about why it <laughs> wasn't been done well. But like even the biggest companies in the world, like. I was doing the Game Informer digital magazine, and it was just rubbish. Yeah. Uh, just didn't use it. Just wasn't interactive. And if you're going to use it on a digital device, then you got to you got to be able to offer multimedia. Um, so we created this thing, and at that time, I think at its peak, we we had about I think I had about 17 or 18 people working on it. Um, I had three people managing the social. I had uh, a bunch of writers all over Australia, and we all connected through Trello. Um, so we ran that whole kind of 16-person team through Trello. Wow, that's great. That's uh, that's good to know because I only run myself through it as well as a couple other people. So it's nice to see people who kind of like stretch it to its limits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It worked well. Yeah. With what you've done, and that's you know, um, go from microbiology to then into writing, and then quitting your job, starting your own company. There has to be elements of time where you felt apprehensive or maybe a little bit fearful. And clearly that has not held you back in any way. How do you approach times when you feel a little bit apprehensive and how do you push past that? Um, you know, it, it, it's not a good thing, but I just work. Um, and, you know, if my wife was here right now, she'd be nodding her head enthusiastically <laughs> at me. Uh, but I just, I just knuckle down and get into it. Um, and it's not the healthiest option. And it's a lot of the reason why I, I quit Game Informer when I did was because it, I wasn't healthy mentally with, with the workload at the time. But launching your own business is, is hard, hard work. Oh, yeah. Um, and what it has done is given me complete control over my time. So, you know, one of my big things my entire life is I surf. You know, I live a couple of, of a kilometre away from a beach here in Sydney mm-hmm. and I've been surfing my entire life. And if things are just getting too much and my head's not in the right space, I just drop it all, get in my car, go down the go down, jump in the ocean and just surf. Um and that may be that may mean I work a bit later that night. Um but that is my release from that kind of uh, overload. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one way, and the other way is I've always kept one foot in my tra- my uh, traditional work. So as I was saying when we first when we first jumped on this podcast, you know, one day I might be doing something for the local government. Um, I've managed to over the years, having gained a profile as a journalist, made some good contacts and have some jobs that you know pay well for not a massive amount of time investment, mm-hmm. um, and I haven't let go of those. Okay. So uh, I'll do those, you know, in between, and that just gives me one certainty that there'll be money coming in mm-hmm. um, while I build the 
the massive old mate media empire uh, in <laughs> around it. Um, and I think for a lot of creative people who are heading out into the unknown, and yes, there are frequently times when I sit there and go, oh, geez, you know, you know what's going to happen next? Um, can I get this done? Uh, will it make money? You know, that's the biggest question. Will it make money? Um, is just to have that little foot somewhere back in, in, in your career, not to blow those contacts, not to burn any bridges, and just to keep touch every now and again with those guys. And you know, you know what? If I'm going to spend 20 days a month working on my business, maybe I can put away two or three days on, you know, what I was doing beforehand mm-hmm. or something else just to make sure that, hey, you know what? Everyone's going to eat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So it, it sounds like you're, you're good at hedging your bets that way and, and, and not being like, um, you know, or not, not being like, like throwing caution into the wind too much so that you're able to, to not freak out. Do you, do you, or has that felt like it's inhibited your creativity in any kind of way to, to, um, to have something that, that definitely is, is steady and, but maybe not 100% your company? Um, it hasn't affected my creativity. Um, I wouldn't say it's affected my creativity. Are you, are you, are you referring in particular to the articles I create for other companies? Yes, the, that or, you know, or doing the government work or, you know, something that maybe is, is more of, of steady work, but maybe less creative than, than running your, your media company. Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, you know, there's one particular magazine here called Crash, which I've been, um, contributing a massive part of since 2003 so i've been doing that for geez 14 14 years um so you know how creative am i with that you know well it's kind of in its own routine now mm-hmm. uh, i've been doing it for so long i know i know where it is uh, and what it does um i still love writing so it's still your name on it at the end of the day and i don't I don't feel like it naturally, it, it actually impacts my creativity to do stuff. Certainly not my idea generation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. Um, where it impacts my creativity is that I don't get as much time to spend on the things that I really want to create, which is like the books that I do and, and stuff like that. So, uh, it just takes creativity away from, um, the stuff that I really love doing and puts that creativity onto something else for little, for little blocks of time. Okay. Okay. So you manage it that way. If someone who is listening to this podcast wanted to kind of, I guess, say, follow in your footsteps and leave their their corporate job or their day job that they weren't as getting much satisfaction out of and do their own own thing, what would what advice would you give them as a way to start? Uh, well, don't give up your job until you've started. Um, and it's a hard yakka, but you know why you're, you know, you know. Go all the way back to when I started, when I was at university. That was my that was my day. But on the side, I started. Hey, I'm going to start writing some articles here, write some articles there, um, you know, and slowly kind of increase increase my activity. Like when things were getting kind of bad at the end of Game Informer before, um, when I kind of had a feeling that I just wasn't going to be able to sustain that, and I didn't want to. When I had that gut feeling that I wasn't going to be able to be a good dad if I kept doing this. Mm-hmm. I started tinkering in the background and coming up with some ideas and writing ideas down and splashing a few things out. I think I'd already 
registered the website and began putting a few articles up and seeing if there was interest for the content and just kind of doing that little bit of groundwork um, while I was still earning a full-time income. Mm-hmm. And basically, once I'd made the decision that whatever happens, I'm going to move into this, I'm going to start my own company. When I, once I made that decision, my attitude with the people that I was working with at the time was I'm going to stay, do, keep doing my job as well as I've always done it, but my mentality now isn't I'm going to do this job because this is what I'm going to do first in my job, my life. My attitude is now is that I'm going to do this job because it's funding me to get my business up. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And I kind of adapted that thought pattern. And a lot of the things that now that we're kind of down the track a bit and we're working with a lot of you know authors in particular, but illustrators that come to us, and we get the emails that say, yeah, like, I'm going to be the next Dr. Zeus. You know, we get people who... <laughs> Uh, will we'll send us, you know, a, an article, a book that they've written, and then they'll have this whole detailed plan in mind about how they, you know, who's going to buy the movie rights, um, who's going to star as the lead character, like, you know, and like the, the, that that type of um, aspiration and belief is is great. It's critical. It's important. But you've always got to tone it right back and say, look, that might happen in five to ten years. Mm-hmm. But if you if you go into this believing that you know, you're going to be J.K. Rowling in a year from now. Um, you're building yourself up to a massive fall. And if you build yourself up for that, if you build yourself up for that fall, you might not be able to take that fall. And it might, you know, quell what's a realistic and possible dream before it's had a time to get off the ground. So a lot of the people we talk to initially, especially the people who come in with those kind of high hopes, we're just like, you know what? Let's just start by thinking, let's create, let's just create something that's really good and really world class that you can read to your kids and we'll, we'll start there with that little block and but we're going to build it really really high quality and world class so that if the whole, if he takes it to school and his whole entire classroom wants it it's it's good enough and if the parents then talk to other parents and they like it and it's good and it goes in the library and that's good and then you know so it picks up on amazon and gets some good buys on amazon and that's good like you then you you, you build up incrementally and you set your little goal posts if you go in thinking, hey, I'm going to be on Oprah Winfrey next week, um, then, yeah, it's, um, it's it's not a good pr- approach, I don't think. Mm, okay, that's sure. That, that's uh, that's very good advice. And, and sorry, just on that, like we, we even created this little um, intro package when with our books where we say, you know, before you even come in and, and, and give us all this money to make this book for you and get the art for you and design it for you, just do this one little thing where you just kind of present your idea and rerun through the entire thing for an hour with you and just and lay it out and say this is your this is your baby steps and then go back and digest that and make sure that's what you're expecting what you pre- prepare you prepared for because um you know at the end of the day if you if you if someone goes in with the wrong headspace then they're going to be disappointed with you mm-hmm. the company made it for them <laughs> as much as they are with uh, losing you know the chance to turn their creativity into a dream that comes, you know, that, that funds their life. Yeah, definitely. So with everything that you've done, what would you say is the best advice you've ever received? Um, hmm. I've been thinking about how to answer this question. <laughs> uh, the one piece of advice that, I would give now that 
I wish I could tell myself 20 years ago, if that's a way of answering the question, is uh, your number one priority is life. And if you go too deep on this, you know, you can lose the most important thing, which is, you know, the life that you spend with your kids and your family and your friends and your fitness and your health and all those things. And uh, the one piece of advice I'd give is don't be afraid to reach out for help even if that costs you a bit of money, uh, if the ex- if, if it's if it's if the expense is like getting some of your life back, because you can spend a hundred hour weeks working on getting your business off the ground, and if you don't just walk away from that every now and again, or if you don't find ways to bring in help to, you know, there's there's, there's people that will help you for money. There's also people that will help you for free. Um, then you can go. You can end up in a dark place. Um, and it's just something you've got to be conscious of constantly. Mm-hmm. Am I going too hard here? So that's the best advice I wish uh, I had received a long time ago, and I probably did, and I probably ignored it. <laughs> which was, uh, <laughs> uh, um, you know, every now and again, stand up, look at the blue sky outside, and just take a break. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I, uh, I I've done similar things, and and. Um... It's uh, while you're in the moment. Sometimes it's really hard to do that, but it's always, always good to remind yourself that that there's uh, there are more important things. That's fantastic. I, I, just to add one more thing to that as well. Sure. You know, as, a, as a good piece of advice, you can do it. You can do it. Uh, it's becoming more and more and more feasible um, with the way that the the uh, worldwide distribution networks are setting themselves up. You know. I would, I would never have been able to think that five years ago I could create a kid's book in my home in uh, Monavale, Australia, and someone in Estonia could put an order into Amazon and get that one book printed <laughs> and delivered to their front door. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is the world we live in. Yeah. Um, so uh, you can do it. Mm-hmm. That's great. Uh, so thank you so much, Chris, for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. If the uh, listeners would like to read more of your writing and, and see what you're working on, what is the best way they can do that? Uh, look, come to oldmanmedia.com, especially if you if you feel like you want to create something or uh, if you need to see any um, get, get any advice uh, on just the general day-to-day of, of launching something, oldmanmedia.com is the best place to go. Um, and we feed all that kind of content through. We've got a newsletter. We've got... Uh, a social presence on on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram where we feed that content as well. If that's people's preferred channel of discovery, um, you can follow us there. Uh, but we're we're going to keep building that website out and and keep uh, offering more and more advice on 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 our own discoveries and what we've discovered in the past about just uh, starting something creative and and carrying it through. Okay, wonderful. And I will put. All of those links uh, in the show notes as well as a link to your website so people can just click right through. Fantastic. That's great. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much, Chris, for chatting with me. I really appreciate your time. No problems at all. It's been fantastic. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Have a good night. Night. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Hour podcast. If you liked this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. 
thank you again, and have a great day